I want you to turn your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 14. Proverbs chapter 14. And let's take a moment, let's pray and get into this word here today. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for this opportunity now. Lord, we have gathered together in your name. And Lord, we're here to hear from heaven. Lord, give us answers and direction for our lives and for our part to play in this nation. And thank you for your utterance now in the Holy Ghost, boldness to speak your word in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, Proverbs 14, verse 34 14.34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Why don't we read that together out loud? Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And so I want to talk to you today about that very subject of exalting a nation. All right. There are deliberate attempts being made in our day to remove God from the public arena and from public discussion or any kind of acknowledgement in our country and uh, we're going to stop it (laughs) Uh, we're just not going to put up with it and so we're going to talk to you a little bit about those things today how we can exalt a nation you can see real clearly from the proverb that it's righteousness that exalts a nation Amen. And it is certain, there are certain elements that need to be present within our uh, government, within our elected officials, for our nation to move forward and not backward. And we can see over the last de- few decades that our country, in many regards, has definitely moved backwards. Okay? And it will continue to do so unless Christians take a stand and let their voice be heard. All right? We're, we're in a very important time right now. We're going to be voting in just a few weeks. And that involves every single one of us, unless you're in here and you're too young to vote. Uh, But it involves all of us, and we all need to take what's been given to us as our right as American citizens, uh, assuming everyone is, but there might be some that aren't. Uh, You can give the others a ride to the polling place (laughs) to do your part if you live here. (laughs) Uh, But um, like I said, things have gone downhill, as most of us are aware, And we have a responsibility as Christians to our country. Without us, things will go south very fast. Like I said, we've seen them go south in many areas, in many uh, different segments of our society. They have gone south. Jesus, remember, called us as believers. And that's what I'm talking about is is us, believers. Uh, We are the salt of the earth, right? Isn't salt a preserving element? Doesn't salt preserve uh, foods and so forth? And likewise, when we take our place, how many know we preserve righteousness in our nation? When we don't, things go down, 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 down. And uh, you, you, you know, many of you, uh, you know, we talk about end time events, talk about the rapture. Many, many, many believers believe that prior to a seven-year tribulation that Um, the Bible prophesies will come to pass that the church will be raptured out of here. We're going to meet the Lord in the air. It makes a lot of sense to understand why a tribulation is possible. Because you take the salt out, and how many know corruption comes very, very quick, and a lot of things just go immediately downhill. But likewise, whether by rapture or by silence, 
things are going to go downhill without you and I stepping up to the plate and letting our voice be heard. And much of this is going to happen. The very foundation and basis of this is using our right and responsibility to cast a vote, as hard as that is. But we need to talk about some of these elements so we can see from the Word of God why things go up and why things go down, and to direct us in the way that we are to use this responsibility. If we are silent, we should rest assured that those who do not know the ways of God will not be. They will not keep their voice quiet. They will speak louder and louder. Part of the reason uh, for that being such a danger is because um, many of the people who are in charge of our media outlets who are making the decisions are fundamentally opposite of the righteousness of God. They very much desire us to have a secular society. Remove God from any public arena. You weirdos, just hide out in your church. Do your stuff there, but keep God out of government, out of schools, out of everything in the, in the, in the public arena. And that's what many want. And here's the deal. Many of those people are running the major television networks, the major newspapers, the, the media outlet. And because of that, that voice is going to continue to be projected. And we're going to keep hearing those messages, and we have got to counter that. And the very beginning of that is simply us coming into the know. We've got to have understanding of what's really going on in our country these days. Whenever you read a newspaper, watch a news story on TV, read your news on the internet, take it all with a grain of salt. Because there is a whole lot of it that is not accurate. A lot of it contains partial truth, but it is really difficult, even with uh, with a person who is genuinely sincere It's really hard to not be biased. That's true for all of us. If you're passionate about something, you care about something, you're going to present it in agreement with your feelings. And so many journalists, I mean, the vast majority of of them lean a certain way. We all know which way that is. They do. Therefore, it's difficult for them to be objective in their talking about different news stories. I was speaking last week with Pastor Alan's sister, who had just gotten back from Iraq. And so I was kind of just talking with her and uh, joking a little bit. But I said, so how's it going over there? Are we winning? And, uh, (laughs) And she said, well, yeah, we are. And she said, and without me asking, and she said, don't believe everything you read. She said, we, a bunch of us were over there, and we were all watching the news, and they were reporting on an event that had just took, taken place, this particular bombing, and we all sat back and thought, what? That's not what happened at all. And I thought, yikes. I've heard that numerous times from people who've come back from Iraq who say that the reporting of many of the events are just not accurate. It's not what actually happened. I don't know about you. That bugs me. I just like to know the truth. There's something about truth that I value. <laughs> I want to know what's really going on. And, and so I'm not saying we just depart from all forms of, of news outlets. But again, you have to sometimes really research if you want to find out what actually happened in many situations. And, and people are being deceived. Um, and, you know, part of that is, you know, when an event takes place, let's say there's, you know, like a 
presidential debate or something. <laughs> and they back and forth for an hour and a half. And, and how many know there's a lot of things said? Somebody's got to write a story on that or condense that thing into five minutes for a little blurb on TV to kind of cover it. Well, obviously that's a challenge. But you think about it. If someone says a thousand things and they've got to grab four words for their headline, whoever chooses those four words, that story is going to reflect to some degree what they thought about. That even if they're trying to just present an unbiased, factual representation of what took place, it's just difficult to do that. And so often you can have nine positive things said, one negative thing said, and that one makes the headline. And many of us kind of read the headlines and don't read all the stories, and that's the view that we take of a particular event. And it's just not true. And so people have a false understanding of what's really going on in the country. I remember just from a, you know, a situation that's not really important to, to us, but I noticed this a couple months ago because I have an iPhone, and, and I am cool. Uh, <laughs> anybody with me? Bill? <laughs> but I noticed, uh, I'll just talk to him. Uh, <laughs> I noticed this headline, they went, uh, they started selling that device in Japan, and um, the headline said, 94% of Japanese consumers say they are not planning on buying an iPhone. And it was like presented as a real negative, like, oh, wow, bummer, 94% of them aren't interested. You know? And I thought about it for a minute, I thought, well, wait a minute, that's good news for that company. Who makes it? Think about it, you build a product and 6% of a whole nation has plans to buy it. I mean, no, that's a lot. But that's just a, an example of how things can get turned upside down and you get an opposite view of what something really is. That's what we have to be aware of, um, that we're not always getting a picture of the way things are really supposed to be. Okay, We must be involved locally and nationally in the elections. How many know nat- locally um, many of the people who are in state government and so forth eventually come to national government. And I even heard that there was a small town mayor in an obscure place called Alaska (laughs) who got exalted to prominence recently. I don't know. Did you hear about that? I think it's possible maybe that someone from our state in the future could all of a sudden come out of nowhere and be looking at the White House or something like that. And so, listen, it's important what we do locally because of local policy, but also because of how they potentially will affect national policy in the future. You know, it's been estimated in previous elections that about one out of every four Christians vote. Sad is the right word for that. And that's not going to be the case with believers from Life Church because we're all voting. And if you don't, we are going to hurt you. <laughs> Let me say this as well while we're at it. <laughs> Don't fall into this trap of thinking that whoever God wants to be president or to be in Congress or to be in the Senate is going to be there. 
He put us here for a reason. He gave us His Word. He gave us His Spirit. And in our system of government, we decide. Okay? Some have gotten into hyper-sovereignty of God theology. And they think, well, whatever God directs, that's always going to be right. Man, look at history. There have been a whole lot of evil rulers around the globe and who have caused tyranny and killed many people. I mean, look at Saddam Hussein, for one example, who killed so many hundreds of thousands of people. What an evil person. Think because he was in charge? Well, God puts all the leaders in their place. No, that's not, what, that's not how that works. Okay. Don't fall back and think it doesn't really matter what I do. Whatever's going to be will be. Uh, no, we must take our place and stand up. Think about it. You think the devil, if he could vote, think he would? <laughs> yeah, Acorn signed him up, didn't they? <laughs> Seventy-two times, actually. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but think about it. If if the devil could vote, why would he? Do you think he has any bearing interest in who is in the leadership of our country? Okay. Why would he be? Why would he be interested in doing that? Well, I think it's because he loves to steal and to kill and to destroy and he wants policies in place that make that easier all right he wants to ultimately stop the gospel from going forward and if he can stop the gospel from going forward people are bound up how many know when you know the truth the truth makes you free you're out of his control and out of his power and so he wants to do that say is that i mean is there really a spiritual battle involved in these things i really believe that there is i really believe that it's more than just a physical natural and political battle there are spiritual forces at work and that's why we need to pay attention and 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 ask ourselves the question how would god vote what is he influencing me to do because listen some of this is just really crazy these days but there are people endeavoring like i said earlier to wipe god out of the public arena completely they want to not only stop there they want in here they absolutely want to shut down certain things from being said in the pulpit all in the pulpits all across america they do not want people to speak against certain behavior listen that's the reason for some of these hate crime legislations that keep coming back and are enforced in some places because they they don't want to make if i punch rick they don't want to just say you're in trouble for punching him they want to say what were you thinking when you punched him you don't like mechanics or something you got some bias to get <laughs> instead of just saying hitting someone else is wrong they want to get into your psyche and figure out why you did it but I'm telling you, we're smarter than this. We know the basics of that. It all comes down to this. No matter what other things are talked about, the vast majority, they don't want anyone to call homosexuality wrong. And they want to stop anyone from saying that it is. Which is just crazy because ultimately, see, people have even called the Bible a hate book. Because it doesn't allow for all types of behavior for people to do anything they want with, uh, with any kind of 
word that says, no, some things are right and some things are wrong. They want to stop that. See, when it comes down to it, our religious freedoms are in danger. And there are, don't be deceived, there are people who are trying to stop it and they're not going to come out and just say it. They're not going to say we're going to do this, but you can rest assured they are trying to stop these things from happening. There have already been people with lot who have been sued, all kinds of things because they wouldn't provide even just in business. There have been, uh, there was a photographer who was, um, who was sued because he wouldn't perform and do uh, pictures and so so forth for a homosexual wedding because he said it violates my conscience and that's not what I believe. They sued him and won. And by the way, that was in the United States. There's crazy stuff happening in Europe too and in Canada, but these things are happening here. And we shouldn't think well, it'll never really go there. I remember doing a, uh, a camp years ago, probably 15 years ago, um, for youth. And I had a guest speaker in, and he started making this statement. He said, in not too many years, there is going to be homosexual television. And everyone laughed. He said, no way. <laughs> they thought, Whatever. People wouldn't, it wouldn't actually have a TV channel. That's just that. Just that. And people thought, that could never happen. This was a very short time ago. How many know that's a reality today? Here's the scary thing. If that's not scary enough, where's it going next? Do you think there's an end to sexual perversion? Do you think there's an end to the flesh where the flesh says, okay, I'm tired of that. I'm just going to live righteous now. The flesh, if left unchecked and uncrucified, will go places you never imagined it to go. And there are people being influenced to take us that way. So we accept all kinds of grotesque behavior and images and people actually purchase a channel to watch it. This is the way things go when Christians don't stand up. Did I tell you to turn to Matthew? That would be a good place to go. Chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. You see, well, let me just talk some more. We'll read that. There, there are things, I should bring some of this up, because again, back to the element of what we hear over and over is not necessarily true. But when we hear it over and over, many times we believe it. One of those things, have you ever heard of a phrase, a pretty obscure phrase, called separation of church and state? I bet there's no one who hasn't heard that. Many people believe it's in the Constitution or in, some kind of t- or in one of the founding documents. And in fact, I was watching a television program probably a year ago or something, and it was uh, Larry King. And he was, I saw that he had a, a well-known Christian um, person on there. And so I thought, I'm going to watch this, see what they have to say. And that subject came up by Larry about separation of church and state. And come to find out, when the other person questioned him on it, Larry said, thought it was in the Constitution. And the guy said, oh, well, no. 
He said, oh, well, the Bill of Rights then. He said, well, no. And you would think someone who's constantly interviewing so many people and political people that he'd be smarter than that. But the problem is, he believes what probably, I don't have stats, but probably a majority of Americans believe. That that whole separation of church and state thing is right there in the Constitution to to keep the church out of the government. And that's just not the case. In fact, the, um, the origin of that statement came as a result of Uh, It was back in the very early 1800s when a church, Baptist Church in Connecticut, wrote to Thomas Jefferson about some of their concerns about the government having anything to say, even about the free exercise of religion. They thought if the government gives it, the government can take it away. And because of that, they wrote to him, and he wrote back to them in 1802, And in his letter, that's where that phrase originated, in a personal letter. And all he was doing, he was assuring that group and trying to tell them, listen, the government, because of this uh, clause in the the Constitution, because of this clause, um, they are not able to come into and embarred on the church and its activities and he used that phrase in there and said there is a wall of separation a separation between church and state what did he mean anyone if they take any kind of honest look at it at all will come to the conclusion that he was not saying you got to keep those kids from praying at graduation you got to keep them from praying at the football game Huh? You, you got to keep all the church's activities out of any kind of state and government business. He was saying exactly the opposite of that. He was saying, we're going to keep the government out of the church. And you're not in danger. You're always going to have the right to freely proclaim God's word. And there's not going to be an establishment of a state religion. Okay. And even what, what the Constitution does talk about, how the Congress shall make no law regarding a uh, establishment of religion, that, that phrase in there was written to Congress. It wasn't written to a school board. It wasn't written to the local courthouse. <laughs> and really what it meant even in that day, and I'll get back to the word here, but hold on. Uh, even in that day when they said, uh, shall not establish a religion, they weren't thinking uh, some of the various different world religions. You, look, you have to look at the context of their day. They were talking about Christian denominations. And they're saying the government is not going to come in and nationalize and say this is the official denomination of the, of the United States. The Christian denomination. Okay. And what happened is in 1947, some, uh, some radical judge went back in that personal letter, grabbed that phrase, and inserted it into a case turned it on its ear first and used it to say the exact opposite of what Thomas Jefferson was saying. And from 47 until now, here we are. Everyone says, separation of church and state. And everyone thinks it's to keep God out of the public arena. Keep, you know, keep uh, God and faith and religion out of schools and, and all kinds of stuff. And that is so far from the truth. But yet what happens when everyone believes it? People accept. And it's become almost like a law. 
Ridiculous. Matthew chapter 13. Did we read that? Verse 24. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. When did the enemy come in to sow? When they slept. When does the enemy come to sow in our nation, in our lives today? When we sleep. When we are not paying attention. When we are not standing up for what is right and what is godly and what is of righteousness. Junk gets sowed in. And people, man, we can be deceived by thinking, man... Not a big deal. Nothing's really going to change. It doesn't really impact my life. Man, that lie has been thrown out so many times for so many things. These things take time. But they get sown. And gradually they're growing up. Growing up. Until all of a sudden we're surrounded by it. And we've lost some of the freedoms that we have today. And let's not be deceived into thinking that, um, that the gospel will never be hindered from going forth. There are people at work actively today to stop the gospel from being presented without being watered down. And if you say, well, that could never happen, look around the world. Do you think it's as easy in Iraq to preach the gospel as it is here? Absolutely. There are places like, you know, many of the Muslim countries, if a person converts from uh, Islam to Christianity... It's a death penalty. I don't know, but I mean, I'm working as, I'm doing as much as I can here to get people to answer the altar call, let alone have to tell them, listen, if you do answer, you might go to jail tomorrow. You might die the next day. (laughs) Are you listening? And so that is a matter of fact in our world that the gospel is being hindered by the governments and political systems that are in place. And if we do nothing, that will happen here. If we do nothing, what's the old saying? When good men do nothing, evil prospers, succeeds. Yeah. And we've got to do something. Let me show you a few scriptures. Numbers chapter 20. And let's look at this issue. We've got an election coming up. We've got to know what to do. I'm not calling names here today because there's another misnomer about that. It's called a bogus IRS ruling. It happened a few decades back, but that'll be overthrown soon. Amen. Numbers chapter 20 and verse... 23 says the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the mount in Mount Hor by the border of the land of Edom saying Aaron shall be gathered to his people for he shall not enter the land which I have given the children of Israel because you rebelled against my word at the water of Meribah. Did you notice that language? The Lord said to Moses Aaron's not going in because you messed up. Aaron's not going in because you messed up. Aaron's not going in because you messed up. Is it ever true that a person will suffer as a result of those over them? It's absolutely the case. In my home, could I make life hard for my wife and kids? If I make wrong decisions, if I go the wrong direction, make wrong choices, behave improperly, 
my wife and kids will suffer even though they didn't do anything to deserve it. And we, as American citizens, will suffer as a result of the wrong people being in office. And if we think they're disconnected, they're not. When wrong policies are put into place, when we've got bad leadership, it trickles down. It doesn't happen overnight, but things are being taken away from us. Things are being stolen from us, and we've got to recognize this. This is why it's so important that we take our place and rise up and do what's right in our country and nation. Romans chapter 14 and verse 7 says, No one lives, none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. Don't think when a politician does something crazy and you say, you know, what they're doing, that's not my fault. I mean, I didn't even vote. If you didn't vote, it's your fault. Exodus chapter 18. I'm going to go kind of quicker here a little bit. Exodus 18. And verse 21. Exodus 18:21 Moreover you shall select from all the people able men such as fear God men of truth hating covetousness and place over place over them such over them to be rulers of thousands rulers of hundreds rulers of fifties and rulers of tens notice the qualifications given here for the rulers of the people he said number 1 that they should be able when you're looking for who to vote for in fact why don't we just take a little poll here how many already know who you're going to vote for for the, I didn't say what yet. <laughs> for dog pound chief. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I don't know if there's a dog pound chief. <laughs> Kirsten? No dog pound chief. Okay. Uh, uh, how many know whom you're going to vote for for president? You already know. Lift up your hand. All right. How many know who you're going to vote for for president? Uh, our state representative in, in the House uh, coming up here. All right, a little bit less. How, how many know whom you're going to vote for for uh, state senate from Idaho? Yeah, okay, less hands. Uh, what about uh, your local district for our local government? How, how many know? Okay, a lot less hands. Um, well, we, we, got, we, got, we, 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 we got a proposition coming up too, don't we? Proposition about uh, uh, money on... Driver's licenses? How many know you're going to vote on that? Okay. Here's the deal. The reason there's less and less less hands is because people don't know about some of the local issues. And I've been caught before. I've been caught in the voter booth going in. (gasps) I didn't know that was going to be on there. (laughs) Who in the world is that person? But I don't like to be caught like that because I know I live here. This is my responsibility. It's not just about the president's office. It's about local politics as well. Find out. Find out ahead of time. Know who's running. Know who uh, has um, agreement with your values or with, I should say, biblical values. So you'll know what to do in these circumstances. How many have already decided you were voting for Joe the plumber? <laughs> oh, all right, okay. We, Joe's doing all right. <laughs> Amen. Let's look here. The qualifications from Exodus chapter 18. Number one, he said, make sure they are able. Make sure they're able. You know, just because a person's saved doesn't mean they're able to lead. 
okay? Now, we got, with our presidential candidates right now, both of them, out of their own mouth, say that they're believers, okay? I'm not here to say, I can't judge their heart, so I can't go by that, per se. I'm just, if they say they are, I'm going to take them at their word. I don't, you know, again, I don't want to get into specifics with them, but here, it's, it, there, are, there have been leaders in our past who've said, I'm a strong Christian, and they were terrible leaders, all right? We must look for ability, okay? Are they able to lead? That's probably a few Christians in here um, actually love God, but if you were offered the presidency, you might think twice. Why? Well, because of ability. <laughs> you might think, I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I'm able to do that. That's an important qualification. He said, number two, they must fear God. Number three, they must be truthful. Wouldn't that be nice? truthful number four they must hate covetousness look at second chronicles 19 second chronicles chapter 19 and verse 5 19 5 then he set judges in the land throughout all the fortified cities of judah city by city and said to the judges take heed what you are doing for you do not judge for man but for the lord who is with you in the judgment. Now, therefore, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Take care and do it, for there is no iniquity with the Lord, no partiality, no taking of bribes. <laughs> Little exhortation for the judges. How many know in our society here today, judges play a huge role? In fact, many judges are not just judging, they're creating new laws. It happened in California recently. The voters voted a few years ago about the issue of marriage. to be a one man and one woman. Four judges came in and overruled it. Four people overruled the state and said, we're just going to do it anyway. That's crazy. But we need to recognize the importance of that particular position. It's really out of whack today. It's doing more than it's supposed to do. Uh, actually, you know, people think that the government is three branches of equal power, and it's not. It's not. The, the, ju the judicial branch is not supposed to be in equal power with Congress and with the White House, with the executive branch. Not supposed to be that way. People believe it is, though. It's another way our, just, our country's gotten off track. It's said enough times, and people believe it. And then all kinds of chaos happens. Let's think about our current president. People ask, what will he be known for? Decades down the road, when they look back, what will President Bush be known for? And, of course, the overriding issue seems to be he'll be known for the war. And, uh, and certainly that's been a huge issue. One of the things that has kind of gone under the radar and one of the things that he has done very well is he has affected judges all across our country. He has appointed people who have been a, who are good and have a right view of the Constitution, of course, some in the Supreme Court, and then many all across the land in federal courts, and it's already turned the tide concerning how many rulings go. It wasn't just a few years ago that every time one of these cases came up where, uh, you know, the mention of God, a Ten Commandments display, or something hanging on a wall in a courthouse, or you know, student praying at graduation, all these kind of things would come up, and we, as believers, would lose every one of those cases. 
we were just getting slapped down. Basically, God's getting pushed into a cave every time he's mentioned in something public. Do you know in the last few years that's changed? Now we win all those. Case after case, we win those things and they come up and they get voted, uh, voted in these courts. Um, they get uh, judged the right way. And it's kind of gone under the radar, but it's stemmed the tide of this secular force that's trying to overtake our country. That was a very good thing. And we've got to make sure things continue to go that way. Let me show you two more here this morning. Proverbs chapter 29. Proverbs chapter 29. Oftentimes you hear people will say, you just need to go to the polls and vote your conscience. And I want to tell you the opposite today. <laughs> Don't go and vote your conscience. Go and vote the Word. You need to vote biblical, eternal values. Not just your conscience. I'm telling you, some people have a messed up conscience. And if you're not sure about that, the Bible teaches that. Conscience can, a conscience can become seared as like with a hot iron, so it's unfeeling. And people have a conscience, I think we should vote this way. Where'd you get that idea? If it's contrary to the Word, don't go with the conscience, because your conscience has been messed up. That's entirely possible. Well, I just, I just like so-and-so's speech. I just listened to this, and I was moved. Man, move back <laughs> into the Word. Are you listening? We need to be smart and judge everything. Proverbs 29. Let me say this as well. Some issues in elections and in our country are more, should be more weighted than others by us. There's a lot of things we could talk about. You know, foreign policy, economic policy, all kinds of different issues. And they're all important. No question. But some things need to rise up higher in our minds than anything else. I've got definitely strong opinions. Some things I hear proposed economically I think are stupid. Okay? But here's the deal. I'm not going to exalt that to the same level as I exalt things like life. That's what God is all about. There are certain areas of morality that have to be more important to me as a believer because I know for certain they're important with God. And here's the deal. We must have faith that righteousness will exalt our nation. That means if righteousness is observed in us as the people, in our leadership, then the blessing of God will be all over this country and it will cause us to prosper financially and part of making wise international decisions economic decisions comes from the blessing of God being upon the minds of those who are making decisions if righteousness is in place there is clarity of thought and decision making is wise and the hand of blessing is a hand of protection and this is a day and age how many know we need that there's some folks out there that don't like us want to wipe us off the map 
right? And we need the blessing of God. That's why we exalt righteousness above every other thing. When I'm looking at candidates, I'm going to see how do you line up with this in, in accordance with righteousness. Amen. And understand this, not everyone's going to agree 100% with a person you should probably vote for. I haven't found that person yet. I can write my own name in, but there's... (laughs) I agree with myself all the time. (laughs) No, but listen, let's take president, for example. You know, is there... Do one of the guys have everything right? I think we're in agreement. <laughs> Who should we vote for? <laughs> Listen, uh, you ha- you, we have to realize what are we doing that's good, that's the best in the situation we're being dealt. And vote for those who have the most righteousness. Okay? This scripture here in Proverbs 29 says in verse 2, When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules... The people groan. And the righteousness being spoken of here is not a righteous spirit, right standing with God. In other words, they've been born again. That didn't exist in the days the Proverbs were written. He must have been talking about someone's character, about how someone behaves, about how they think, about honesty, and about all these issues. Those things must be preeminent in our leadership for us to rejoice. When the right people get in there, we smile. Hey. It's not, why? Because righteousness there means it trickles down. And it affects other parts of our society. But when the wicked man rules, who's the wicked man? It's the guy who thinks wrong. guy who believes wrong. The guy who goes contrary to the word of God in his policies. 1 Timothy chapter 2, let's end there today. Thank you, Lord. First Timothy, chapter two, and verse one. First Timothy two, verse one. Therefore, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. In all godliness and reverence. What's necessary? That we pray for those in authority. Can I tell you something? On November 5th, pray. Certainly, I hope you'll pray between now and then. Hard. In faith. Believe in God. But no matter what happens on the 5th, pray the next day. Even if the wrong guy gets in office, pray for him. Pray that he'll do the right thing because this is still our land. And ultimately, we want peace what happens when there's peace it produces an environment where the gospel can get out look at verse 3 for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth ultimately we're praying for those in authority praying for those in leadership so that the environment is conducive to the gospel going out there's got to be freedom There's got to be freedom of religion, freedom of speech. These freedoms must remain intact and not having someone coming in trying to muzzle us because we say some things that they don't like to hear. We need people who actually believe that there's right and wrong. Amen.
If I were to sum up and say, how can you make America a better place? Live right. Live righteously. Vote for righteousness. Make sure you take that place. Write. Call legislators. Be involved in that process. Let your voice be heard. And, so, and for some of you, it's time to run for office. For some of you, it's the right thing to do. You've got godly character. You're an honest person. You're a God-fearing person. Get in there and do some, do some good stuff. Ultimately, though, we're not going to hang our hat on the government. As individuals, as believers, we're not throwing everything on the government and saying, you know, they're either going to make or break us. Ultimately, if we do our job as believers and being the salt of the earth, you know, you get out of the shaker and into the world and make a difference, then there's going to be more believers. And when there are many more believers whose hearts have been changed, there will be many more Christians in politics shaping the policies of our nation. And ultimately, that's what we're about. We want to change the hearts of people. But let, let, let us not, in the midst of doing that, neglect our responsibilities as citizens to elect people of godliness, people of righteousness, for it will affect our lives and it will affect the eternity of people around us. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you today for your faithfulness and your goodness in our lives. We believe that you're at work in our midst and thank you for helping us to be the kind of people that we need to be in relationship to our country that you have given us. Lord, we desire for it to prosper and move forward. And Lord, help us to take our place and do what's right and necessary for these things to happen. We recognize our responsibility to pray, to vote, to stand for righteousness. And Lord, we take that position and thank you for helping us and empowering us. I ask that you would move, up, move upon hearts all across the nation to vote in accordance with your word, in accordance with righteousness. In the name of Jesus, we do ask for your help. Father, I do pray for those who've come to church here tonight, today, a more immediate and important need. There may be some who've come who, who if they were to die today.